you and me We carry memories that we just can't see Buried deep inside And though we try In their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later The Holmes Army proudly presents Trek West 5 a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening, welcome to Podcast 169. I am Peter. And I am Joey. Uh, two weeks in a row. Yeah. We're back on form. <laughs> It's sad that that's a high bar for us. (laughs) We're just not trying anymore. Uh, We're phoning it in. It's become old hat. Uh, We don't really even like doing this podcast. Joey and I can't stand each other. We we stay in it for you, the listeners. I I hope you as our children realize (laughs) the the amount of strain that you've put on our relationship. (laughs) Listen, your mother and I... (laughs) We're living a sham... I, I don't know why I'm making light of a, a, a <laughs> broken terrible, <homes. laughs> terrible thing to happen to society. Uh, well, let's just move on and pretend it never happened. Uh, oh, good. Happy things. Fourth uh, of July. Yeah. Happy birthday, America. Happy 2013th birthday. I, I don't understand Did, what that was all about. I don't get those morons. Because it seemed to be all over the place. And, uh, you know, uh, a few of my friends, Facebook and Twitter, were all like, wow, look at these morons. Uh, and then, of course, Reddit had their fair, sh- you know, poke at them. <laughs> um, I, I just, I, I want to believe that it, they were just joking. Okay. But I know in my heart that a good share of them were not. <laughs> Didn't they know were any better? Just idiots. <laughs> So I, I don't I don't know how you could be that ignorant. I just I, don't. I it, what what else could it be? Why would you you know willingly accept the ridicule that's going to come from the internet? Maybe Why? they thought they were being cute. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Seems weird, bizarre. Uh but nonetheless, happy birthday America. You are very patriotic today. You wore your flag shirt. Yeah. Uh, should I assume that that was just an extension of what you were wearing yesterday? No. I oh, had a different okay. flag shirt on yesterday. <laughs> I assumed you just woke up from uh, uh, from bed and was like, nah, I'm just going to be working with Pete today. The office is empty. Uh, who cares? <laughs> no, I, I get a blue and a red flag shirt every year for the 4th of July. Oh, I see. So yesterday I wore the blue one. Today I wore the red one. Why don't you get a white one? I don't. The, the company that we buy them from, I've never seen a white one in their catalog so hmm, interesting well nonetheless it uh, looks good on you uh um, hey, you wear that flag well widely <laughs> um, <laughs> uh okay anything else anything you want to bring up any uh, i have a story i yeah i know about your choking okay. story and i'm still just a little disturbed at the the story i'm sure is going to be fine and i i want to think i think you maybe already mentioned this to me it was the way in which you brought it up to me. <laughs> so tonight, Joey and I are driving uh, to go get some dinner, and we're on the freeway, and all of a sudden, 
It's completely quiet. The windows are all down, just booking <laughs> down the freeway. He turns to me and says, oh, hey, help me remember to tell my choking story. <laughs> and that's it. Like, nothing else. No, no other... You have to save the rest for the podcast. ...context there. I just thought, what in the world? What poor animal <laughs> gave his life so that Joey could have a story on the podcast? Well, I think it was a cow. I assume it was a cow. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, a couple weeks ago, we went to uh, a, a family event with Dee Dee's family and her extended family. There was about 50 people there. And we all went out to Golden Corral to eat. And I got a steak. I thought, oh, you know, nothing like a good steak. And on my third bite of the steak, as I was chewing, I inhaled... And I sucked the piece of steak down my throat, mostly unchewed. Mm. And I thought, boy, I, and I kept trying to swallow through it, you know? And I was like, man, that thing is just not moving. So I took my I, my wife's glass of water that she had, and I poured it in my mouth. <laughs> oh, good. Confounding and, it. And the water just spilled out of my mouth. I couldn't get anything down. And that's the point at which I realized I have a problem here. That till that point, I thought, oh, I can, surely I can just swallow this and get get through this. <laughs> so I stood up and I gave the international sign for choking, and everyone in my wife's family said, "Joey, what's going on? What are you doing? Are you okay?" And I'm shaking my head, no, that I'm not okay, and I'm pounding frantically on my chest with the international sign for choking, and they're all going, "I don't understand. What does that mean? What are you trying to say?" Luckily. <laughs> There was one person in Dee Dee's family. Uh, 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 it was like a a cousin's sister-in-law's brother uh, the, who knew what that sign meant. And he came running halfway across the restaurant and managed to get his arm around me. He didn't even have to do the full Heimlich. Just getting one arm around me and punching right there in the solar plexus was enough to get it out. But by that point, my vision was tunneling down to nothing. And I was honestly thinking, this is it. I'm going to die right here in Golden Corral because no one in my wife's family knows the international sign for choking. Now, you, you just did the, the sign there, and you were beating on your chest. Were you doing it on your no, chest, or on did you throat. have it up to your throat? I had it up to my you throat. You had it up to your throat. Okay. Just like this. Because if you were doing that at where you were just had it, which was down on your chest. I was trying not to have the microphone pick it up. <laughs> I would have been confused as well. But if you were doing it right up to your throat, man, they should have known. Yeah, None of That's... them had ever heard of that before. Wow. Except for the guy who did come running and say, my finish. You know, I thanked him. I was like, I have never had that experience before. I was pretty sure I was going to die. And he said, yeah, what's weird is you're like the 15th person I've given the Heimlich to. <laughs> and he said, my wife, when we were very, very early on, when we were married, we're at a meal and she was choking and she didn't give me that sign. And so I thought she was goofing around because she didn't use the sign for choking. And after I realized this is serious and I dislodged the food, I said, why didn't you do the international sign for choking? She said, the what? Yeah. So, people, if you don't know the international sign for choking, please go out on the internet, look it up. It's very important, and you literally could save someone's life. It's a real thing. Maybe someone who makes a podcast that people tune into. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. That. Uh, well, at least you would have gone down at uh, one of the higher class uh, buffets. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, I, I I was looking around trying to find like a, a table or a chair that I could ram into my stomach to try and do it for myself. I tried a couple times just punching myself in the stomach, but that wasn't <laughs> helping. But all the tables and chairs were too low. They're, you know, I'm, I'm a taller guy, not super tall, but I, you know, I'm six foot. And everything was down around four foot. <laughs> I just couldn't bend over far enough to Heimlich myself. You know, that's interesting because uh, it's heard recently that they aren't suggesting that they do the tr- that people do the traditional Heimlich maneuver anymore, which is, you know, someone stands behind you, they put their arms around you, they take their, their two balled up fists and put it into your abdomen and to, to help force the air up to, to dislodge the item. Right. They, I've, I've heard that they've moved to uh, a pounding on the, ch- uh, on the back to, to help dislodge it. I, I haven't looked into it any huh. further. Uh, there hasn't been a need yet. Maybe now you'll have our, the motivation <laughs> that our need is greatest. <laughs> this should be the thing that uh, will will cause us to look it up. So, all right, uh, somebody look that up out there. Uh, report back on the Facebook page. Let us all know so that we can be saving people's lives properly. Or if you don't use Facebook, you can email us. Um, the, I, the the side effect of that whole story though has been, and the reason. It came up while we were driving in the car is because since then, and it's been about three weeks since then, anytime I get something even slightly caught in my throat, even my own saliva, I panic. I think I'm choking to death again (laughs) and it doesn't take any. And and so as we were driving down the freeway, a bug flew into my mouth and my brain immediately went into panic mode that I was going to choke to death. And it only took like a split second for me to go. Okay, calm down. <laughs> We've swallowed bugs before. We can get through this. <laughs> but it, it, it has become literally trauma. I mean, I actually have trauma around this now because ah. I was that convinced. I mean, I seriously, I was thinking of all the things I would never see. I was sure I was going to die laying there on the floor of... Uh, so, so Joey's kryptonite, everyone, is choking on meat. <laughs> So or when we need to really take him down, <laughs> let's just cram his throat full of something. Uh, okay, well, look, I, 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 it's clear you survived. Yep, yep. So I'm not that worried about it. <laughs> uh, but uh, welcome back. I, I'm glad you didn't die. Um, okay, I don't think I've got a story that can top that at all. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to bring up? No. Okay, um, well, let's go to Facebook Find of the Week. Um, I want to award this to myself, uh, for posting up the video of the, uh, uh, the bagpipe player, um, playing ACDC with flames coming out the pipes. (laughs) So awesome. I'm disappointed in everyone for not, uh, commenting or liking it enough on Facebook I actually haven't even watched it yet. So. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised by that. You've been phoning it in for <laughs> quite a while. Um, but I'm going to give it to Fishhead because, uh, well, for the most part, he's the only one posting. And it was really cool what he posted up, which was a video of Boba Fett oh, okay. in the conceptual days. When Interesting. It was just like, hey, wow, this is, you know, here here's the idea that we're kind of going down to to have this new character um and i thought that was really really cool i actually thought his better post was the uh 
fantasy or science fiction currency conversion tool. No, because I didn't really have that many on there. Although I did use it, not for the uh, um, any of the fantasy conversions, but just to see if the uh, U.S. to British pound is still <laughs> at the same level I thought it was. Just about a, you know, a uh, one to one and a half. So, yep, that's still a thing. <laughs> um, okay, so congratulations, Fishhead. Uh, we don't have an award. Maybe we might. We'll no, hear no, more no about this later. Yet. We might hear more about this later. Uh, let's see here. Do we want to do list? List next? Do you want to do uh, uh, Brainy? <laughs> well, I have a confession to make. I actually don't know what our list is this week, and I didn't make one. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so I I sent an email out. Don't you read I don't get, our emails? I don't get your emails. Oh, man. So... All right, maybe we'll just forego the list this week because I came up with the list last night and it was sort of like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> Which was favorite flowers. Oh, okay. Top five favorite flowers. Um, Brainy came up with his own list. Yeah, I saw that this morning. And uh, so we'll, I guess we'll just uh, kind of, his will be the, a special list. Why don't okay. we just, I guess we could probably just read that now then. Um, okay, so... Sup, dudes? It's nice to have the Overlords back at the throne helm. Top five superhero movies, all adapted from comic books. This list focuses on the super protagonists, and Ledger's Joker is now legendary. So, of course, we all have to mention The Dark Knight. It is maybe the greatest non-animated submission towards the Batman mythos. However, Bale's bat voice is nothing but laughable. Seriously, absurdly, out of placely laughable. <laughs> Therefore, I cannot include Bale's bat on the list other than this honorable mention because every time that over the top bat growl awkwardly emerges, most people in the room laugh, and it detracts from the hero's gravitas, replacing it with accidental levity. Still a very well written movie. Good I disagree. For you, I, I like the I like the uh, the voice. Good for you, Granted, Brainy. The uh, the voice that he used in the first one was just basically his own voice, and I assume that he went to the deeper voice because you know he wanted to protect his identity that much more. <laughs> um, I also appreciated your insight toward Man of Steel. I consider it to be uh, to be Superman Begins. I also feel that some of the massive plot points will continue to be hashed out in the inevitable two sequels. A recent Nerdist sweetly covers a Man of Steel press conference with the whole cast as well as Zack Snyder, who explains how his vision was to create a Superman movie as if there were no other installments. They only use the comics as source material. Also present and perfectly demonstrating this idea was Hans Zimmer, whose irreverent theme is perhaps the most pleasant surprise of the whole thing. Snyder praises how he embarrassingly asks Hans to, quote, make it sound uh, humble, close quote. Somehow it was achieved. And anyways, on with the list. 
Number five, The Crow from 1994. Mm, love that movie. Great soundtrack and the real death scene of Bruce Lee's kick-butt progeny. I didn't think they, he actually died on the movie. I thought he just died during the making of it. Like, you know, he overdosed or something in his... There was a uh, special effects malfunction that killed oh, him. Oh, okay. There was a, a gun that was loaded with blanks had something wedged in the in the barrel. And when the blank went off it... So did they actually use that shot? I don't know. I've heard that, but I've never bothered to look it up and see if it's true. It sounds kind of... See, because I wouldn't think Urban that legendy. would be allowed. Yeah, I would think that there would be a problem with that, too. Yes, only simulated death, not actual death. But <laughs> let's it make this a snuff film. <laughs> let's make this as real as possible. Number four, X-Men 2000 started the whole craze. The movie that came out in, X- in 2000. 2000. Not, I thought there was a movie there called is X-Men no 2000. movie, <laughs> so X-Men like, 2000. I haven't seen this one. <laughs> Number three... Avengers 2012. Uh, Qued in Whedon. That's a pretty good pun, but unfortunately there's no way in the world I can properly pronounce it. So (laughs) good on you, Brainy, but I'm sorry I couldn't do it justice. Number two, Man of Steel 2013. Humility and Hope. Mm. Number one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, 1990, <laughs> Jim Henson. Um, okay, I disregard. I, I can't even read. I can't take you seriously I can't anymore, Brainy. <laughs> just, what in the world? It's a horrible movie. Terrible, terrible. Uh, okay, that's it then. That's, that's the list. Uh, I guess Brainy's <laughs> Nook of Darkness. So, I hope everyone had a happy 4th, especially in the UK. Smurfette and I walked along the three rivers of the Berg (laughs) and went firework hunting. We ended up bagging six different visual specimens. And, of course, you dudes can exploit her for Facebook Find of the Week awards. (laughs) You know, I wanted to call her Smurfette last week, but I didn't know if that would be presuming too much. (laughs) Isn't that why we have girlfriends? (laughs) I will send more pics. Coming uh, next week, Smurfette on a Jamaican beach. Maybe we can, uh, can up the ante for the Facebook submissions. So let's see if someone can beat Fishhead. And by the way, Fishhead, great work on the dystopian list last week. I found myself stumbling across a similar line of reasoning. I also forgot how much I loved Animal Farm. I also really appreciated Pete's singing enhancement. More, please. (laughs) It is also nice to welcome to the Facebook group the illustrious personality whose namesake is a testament to brevity. (laughs) M. And hey, John. Sup? Happy Drooplets. I implore you to check out a young band that is incredible. Foxy Gen. They are brand new. Their sound reminds me of the very best parts of 70s California rock and roll. And that goes for everyone who might be excited to discover a fresh, awesome new band. Foxy Gen. Great name, too. I should mention, um, I played a little uh, little something that uh, Brainy sent to us this week. 
uh, to Joey. It was a it was a, a recover of the Doctor Who um, intro, and it is pretty cool, Brainy. I, I thought you did a good job. He said he did it all on his iPhone. Oh, really? He and a buddy of his uh, that was all simulated off of their iPhone, um, and. I think we could maybe try and be able to incorporate that into our our intro. Sure. So we'll maybe it'll be a part of this one. Maybe it'll be a part of a future one. Who knows? Uh, but if you heard the Doctor Who theme, know that that came uh, from Brainy. Okay. All right. Brings us, uh, which brings us to this week's installment of Brainy's Nook of Darkness. Daft Punk. And their newest album, Ram, Random Access Memories. Just released on May 17th, the enigmatic French duo achieves sublime art with their fourth studio album. They started working on the music for this album as they were doing the soundtrack, awesomely, in 2008 for the new Tron movie. It's always a problem for the movie when soundtrack is 100 uh, times better than the footage, although I did mostly like the flick. The music was better. Ram's first single, Get Lucky, was pre-released in February. It's funky. Well, obviously, since Niles Rogers helped record and produce it, the girls at work call the track that sexy, funky roller skating song. <laughs> the whole album, in fact, encapsulates and resurrects a level of pure funk that many believe to be extinct since the 70s. Daft Punk is considered an electronic band, and indeed, I do not listen to much of that genre. But when, an, but when someone demonstrates artistic heights, I pay attention. The album is barely electronic, but it is funky. Here is a quick breakdown. Six tracks feature guest singers. Two are with Farrell Williams, the dude who sings I'm a Hustler Baby. Both of his songs on the album are absolutely incredible. One track's got Julian Casablanca's of The Strokes. It's called Instant Crush. And it is one of the catchiest pop songs I've ever heard. It's also very good. My band covered it at a recent gig, and my friend reported that her four-year-old was humming the melody on the way home. Take that for what it's worth. My other favorite song is with Todd Edwards, called Fragments of Time. I heard it and had to have the whole album. Another track was Panda Bear, lead singer of Animal Collective. Three amazing instrumental tracks pepper the album as well. Track three is such a song, and it's a cover originally by a dude named Giorgio Moroder. He was, the on he was only the very first dude to ever use a synthesizer, and the song features um, He Own Self Told Story. It's awesome. The final track, an original instrumental titled Contact, features dialogue from NASA astronauts. A very great sci-fi tune. All in all, this album is perfect. It is quite easy to listen to a playlist of the whole thing on YouTube. 
then you can tell me how can one even categorize it. I mean, it can't be electronic if every track features a real human drummer and bassist, right? And each studio musician is exceptionally talented. The guitar work is great, futuristic, yet still solid in technical stylings and R&B foundations. Whether one enjoys this album or not, the surprisingly new and fresh sound is worth grokking. Daft Punk, Random Access Memories, Music 10, Sci-Fi 8. <laughs> no funk rating, huh? No funk rating. Yeah, he, uh, I, I guess that uh, he uh, I doesn't think it's that funky. Not willing to give it a rating. <laughs> Maybe it's off the charts funky. <laughs> uh okay so that's uh that's it uh, i guess uh facebook find of the week is done that just leaves joey's culture corner yeah did you manage to remember to do that yes i managed to remember that Pete. all Thank right you for criticizing me the floor the Again. floor is yours uh okay so the culture corner this week is a book called the making of karateka i think i'm pronouncing that or karateka <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> uh, so this, the Karate Ka, or however you pronounce it, was a video game made in the in the early 80s by Jordan Michener, who later went on to create The Prince of Persia. Uh, okay. that's uh, all, He's also the brother of James Michener, I believe. Is he? No. Okay. I was going to say that'd be weird. Because <laughs> he did want to be a filmmaker. <laughs> anyway, uh, so... When he started college, he bought a notebook and he wrote something every single day in this notebook. And in the course of, of keeping that journal, he created the video game Karateka. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's very early video game, but it's very formative for a lot of people. I'd say that uh, Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat are in a lot of ways influenced by the fact that Michener had managed to create this game and and make a, a hit out of it. Uh, it. It was very interesting reading and going through, trying to understand what creating computer programs was like just 30 years ago. Uh, I, I was looking for the exact reference. I didn't find it. But at one point he talks about going over to a friend's house and his friend has a new Commodore computer and it has a full kilobyte of video RAM. Nice. And he says, I don't even know what you would do with all that memory. <laughs> Whereas today, I have 16 gig of RAM in my computer and I go, I need more RAM. Uh, that's just not enough. <laughs> so, you know, it was a very, very different style of development. He also talks about, you know, he, he needed to animate because it's a karate game. You have two, two characters, your, your characters doing karate against the, the AI opponent. And he says, you know, I'll, oh, I need to, I need to figure out what karate actually looks like in order to animate it. So I, I borrowed a friend's camera and went out and filmed my karate instructor doing certain moves. So this is like one of the very early instances of motion capture going into a video game. He then put the, as he played the tape back, he put a piece of paper up against the screen, traced it, and then digitally reproduced that on the computer. Uh, so it's just very, very fascinating read, uh, learning about what things were like 30 years ago. And also, uh, you know, a game that was 
very culturally significant seeing the mental processes that he went through because he he's very young you know he's a, a freshman sophomore of, in college and he still isn't sure what he wants to be when he grows up and he you know he's talking about well maybe I maybe I want to be a writer I read this great book and it made me want to be a writer and 3 days later in his journal he says no right I don't want to be a writer I have to pick a real field that people will actually pay me to do. I'm going to study psychology. I'm going to finish my psychology mm-hmm. degree. And then like a week later, you know what? I, I, I haven't been to psychology class in, in four days. I hate psychology. I'm going to make video games for a living. <laughs> and in the Sound end, Sound business logic. He did make video games for a living, and he was pretty successful at it. So, you know, good for us. Uh, anyway, I, I really enjoyed this. It's the making of... Karate with the letters K A after it. <laughs> How do you pronounce that? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. Let's not try and pronounce it, uh, and just be grateful for the fact that it was made. Because otherwise, all we would have is two bit pawn uh, uh, pong. <laughs> anyway, I give it a thumb up. Really enjoyed reading this book. Moving on to episodes, we are going to cover episodes five through six of Battlestar Galactica season three. We'll start with episode five, Collaborators. A secret jury tries, convicts, and executes Cylon collaborators. Uh, okay, Joey, what, what do you think? You, you like this episode? Yeah, I did. It was, it was really heavy. I mean, very, very dark. I love this episode. This is one of my favorites in the whole of the show. Wow, That really? I look back on and remember and say, man, that was a good episode. It's... Very, for me, very reminiscent of the episode from TNG, which was the drumhead, um, where there's this, hey, kind of this little witch hunt that's going along. Let's let's figure out who all of these, you know, dark, terrible people were. Um, and I, even though, yeah, it's dark and it's heavy, it's awesome. Uh, everybody fires on every cylinder that they should be, and it's great. Uh, I wouldn't say everybody. I think, uh, Anders comes off a little cardboard in this episode. There's really not much to him. I mean, he really has the whole, yeah, I'm out. And then Kara, what are you doing here? I mean, he's, there's not given that much to do. Yeah. So I, I can see your point with it there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm definitely not blaming the actor. There wasn't a lot in the script. I, I overlook it. It may have been better just to leave him out of the circle in the first place and just put Kara there. It, it kind of felt forced that all of a sudden he's going to leave it. I do like what the what the character does, though. I mean, he's it's clear he's not just out for blood. Yeah, that's he's true. taking this from a very objective standpoint, and when the evidence isn't there, he's like, "No, this is wrong. This let, let's stop trying to." Um, make other people pay for our personal um, anger or upsetness over what yeah. happened in our Hurt in feelings, our lives. Yes. I, I think Tyrrell sells that better. Is all. I just don't think Anders brought a whole lot to it. Uh, so we have uh, to start off with. We have the secret death squad there, um, and they're they're about to get rid of. I can't remember his name. Jammer. Jammer. Um, because of his involvement as one of the secret police. 
Um, you know, they asked the question, Hey, did you pull the trigger here? Did, were you a part of this? And he's like, yeah, but I didn't know that, you know, it wasn't until afterwards that we realized that there were they were, they were legitimately surrendering that, yeah. you know, this wasn't a, a, a ploy. Um, they mentioned that under the quote unquote articles that these people are guilty They're as you know, people watching the episode sort of like, well, what, what are these articles? What, what's this all about? Where's this coming from? We haven't seen anything like this before. What, what's, what's the legal foundation? here? Yeah. In fact, I made that note several times before the episode answered it. (laughs) Yep. Um, my question is at the end when, you know, they finally spaced jammer, did, did it bring back that guy's son? Yeah. In fact, you see that that guy is more angry after the fact than he was before. And I think that's because he he wanted that to make him feel better. And it didn't. And now he's really upset because nothing is going to. Nothing's going to make me feel better. Um, then Anders uh, gives the quote, this isn't what I signed up for. Which... Uh, I I really like the fact that he's saying, "Look, that we're doing this wrong. This isn't this doesn't feel right anymore. We're not. We're, this isn't justice. This is revenge. This is you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back." Um. So we then jump to Gaius. Zarek. What? No, we go to Zarek next. Next thing we see is Zarek telling Rosalind that he's going to step aside. No. Okay. Gaius dreams on the base star. Oh, you're right. That's the note I scratched out. <laughs> I can, I can kind of read it now. How did Gaius end up back? Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. So he does dream. He's dreaming, and part of the dream, Rosalind kisses him, <laughs> <laughs> which was pretty fun uh, to see. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so we have, uh, let's see, a crowded ship. Um, Starbuck goes back to her, her old surly ways. No, she's worse. Um, yeah, cause Anders wakes up from, from his nap, I guess, or, you know, maybe that was his sleep time and he tries to just give her a kiss and she's like, meh, 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 get yeah. away from me. I, yeah. I can't handle any human contact, um, you know, that resembles anything like love. Because it seems to be foreign to her. Um, so we have the presidential swap with Zarek and Rosalind. Because Zarek is now the president. Yep. And he's like, yeah, I, we'll, we'll do this little switcheroo thing here. <laughs> get you back in power. Can, can you imagine how you would feel if that actually happened with our presidency? That you had some, some guy who was the president <laughs> step aside another person gets elected and makes him their vice president. I was like, man, I would be, I would feel so angry as a citizen on that little power, political power game. That's obviously being played behind the scenes. I would be very, very upset at that. Uh, yeah, but you have to be pretty pleased at the fact that Zarek is not going to be president. Yeah. We're going to get Rosalind back, which is, Way better than Zarek could ever possibly. You know, even be. if it meant that we had Mitt Romney as president and Barack Obama as vice president, I'm not sure I would be happy with that. I think I would still be upset at the game that it implies that they're playing I with see the your, presidency. I see your point. 
I would not be happy with Mitt Romney in any situation. Okay. Glad he didn't win. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Gata takes his insults from Ty. So he shows up. Gata shows up there on the bridge, and he Ty just lays into him like, "Oh, what are you doing here? You don't belong here." And uh, of course, Hilo's there. He's like, "No, the admiral, admiral needs yep. some help here, and he's he's willing to assist us." So. So it's at this point we're starting. This is my second instance of writing down. Wait, so what's the authority of the circle? Because obviously, the admiral has no idea what's going on here. He's not going to stand for it. In fact, mm-hmm. he dresses tie down for it here. Um, relieves him temporarily of duty. Yeah, that's because Ty is. He's off balance. Yeah, of course, because I mean that's the default position for for Ty. Um, but. This is clearly an order from the Admiral that Gaeta is to be there to help out. Right. And he just goes off. And not just like, hey, I disagree with your decision. It gets personal. And he starts laying into Hilo, calling Hilo the the Cylon Cylon lover. lover. Um, And it's just, it's not, hey, this shouldn't be because I'm the XO and I think this objectively. It's, no, I'm emotionally reacting to this because of all the pain and suffering that I went through down on Caprica, New Caprica. Um, let's see here. Oh yeah, so Adama orders him off the bridge. It's like, you know what? You're done. Get get out of here. You're off the bridge. Right. The circle we now see is meeting again to discuss some additional names. They go through this one lady, whoever she is, and then the next person up is Gaeta. And Anders walks out. He says, you know what? There's no evidence to this here. I'm done. It, yeah. It's you, you people are just angry there. It's you're making assumptions about what may or may not have happened. This isn't justice anymore. I'm done. And Tyrrell's the only one left there who is standing up for Gaeta. And they say, Hey, you know what? We've got to have a sixth. So, who do they go and get but the most rational person there is? <laughs> Starbuck. Well, they're not looking for rational. These are people who are looking for a confirmation bias. They want someone who's going to help them just railroad people through. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I, I overstepped a couple of things. The number sixes hold the fate on Gaius. So right now the, the seven Cylon models are there on the ship and they say it's a split right now. And the person, the the Cylon models who haven't made a decision are the sixes, yeah. and so we're not sure if we're just going to get rid of you, Gaius. You know, are you going to be useful to us? Then we have um, Apollo in the Admiral's quarters saying, "Look, we've had reports of missing people, <laughs> and not just like, oh, hey, there are people that may have probably died on on the planet. It was." People I, we've seen yesterday yeah. all of a sudden have gone missing. <laughs> and they mentioned Jammer, and he's like, wait, yeah, I did see him yet, just yesterday. Well, what's going on here? He's like, all right, well, we'll continue to look into this. So it's clear Adama is definitely not a part of this, yeah. and neither is Apollo. Uh, Starbuck uh, confronts Gaeta, gets up in his face about things, um, and is eventually chosen to replace Anders. 
Anders confronts Starbuck about being on the jury and says, look, you shouldn't be a part of this. Get away from this. This isn't going to help. The war is over. You don't need to do this anymore. Move on. And she just wants to kill and hurt others. Yeah, she tells him, I want to claw your eyes out for even looking at me. Uh, Leoben really, really messed her up. I mean, mm-hmm. she. I, I would say, I think the term sadomasochist may apply at this point. Um, what is interesting is, what if she still had Casey and Casey was her daughter? Do you think she goes down this dark path? No, I don't. I don't think she does either. Yeah. I think that's something that she can hold on to and say, okay, this is a bright spot in my life. This is something good. I can focus on this and get through this. But doesn't have Casey there. And so once more, Leoben is is there to control her mentally. And she's left to, to wander down terrible, terrible mental paths. Yeah, pretty dark. Uh, so eventually Tyrrell gives in. He's like, all right, fine, whatever. Let's just kill him. So Gaeta is taken. And then it's proven that Gaeta was the inside man who was helping Chief Tyrrell. Yeah. They almost don't find out at the last moment, but they do. Because Gaeta gets all prideful. Yeah. Gaeta says, no, you know what? I'm not going to play this game. You want to kill me? Fine. Kill me. This was a terrible existence. And... You know, he's okay with being done with it. I, I kind of see where he's coming hmm. from in that point um, because it's got to suck to be the guy who's hated by everyone on the ship, and yet he was doing everything that he could to help supply the resistance with the stuff they yeah. needed to get the job done. I admire what he did. I just I was surprised he wasn't a little more ready to fight for his own life. It seems too much like begging because when we saw it with Jammer, I mean, that was clearly, like, that distraught, like, please, please, give me back my life. I don't want to do this. I don't want to die. He's just like, nah, I'm going to take it like a man. All right. Uh, so the circle disbands, and we find out that it was <laughs> Zarek who admits that he allowed this to happen. Yeah, he signed an executive order. And he says, you know what? I did this to get it off of your plate. Rosalind, so that you don't have to have this hanging around your neck. What do you think? Is I mean, did he do Rosalind a favor there? I think or he, was he morally just wrong? Well, so there's there's not a, a single yes or no answer to that question. Here's what I think. I think that Zarek saw a problem and Zarek solved it. Now, yeah. Had he chosen to talk to Rosalind about it, her her solution wasn't any better than his. Her initial response wasn't any better than his. But as they discussed it together, she hit upon an even better solution. And that's where I think Zarek's mistake was, is in thinking that, yeah, you know what? I should be the final arbiter of who lives and who dies. And, and you know, I, I shouldn't have to discuss this with anybody. I don't have to run my ideas past anyone. I am Tom Zarek. Who do I need to ask for permission? I think that was his mistake. I think if he had talked about it with anyone, and I think when we see Rosalind with her final solution to this problem, I think Zarek looks impressed that she found, he's like, oh, wow, that never even occurred to me. I think you've just, you've solved the problem hmm. much more elegantly <laughs> than I did. 
Wow, you think pretty highly of Zarek. No, I, I, I just that's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't That's get what I read that from, in that situation. I don't get that from Zarek at all. Okay. I think it's it's like okay, that's what it is. Fine. I because go along it, with it. In that conversation, you know, he he points out Rosalind, here's what I assume you were planning on doing. And we find out that's pretty much what she was planning on doing. And he pokes holes in. It. He's like, "Look, I thought of that. I poked holes in it. It was never going to work." So this was my other option. And and I think that's that's the difference between a leader and a tyrant. Zarek is at heart a tyrant, and he went with what he saw as the only possible way forward without discussing it with anyone, without getting anybody's input. He came up with this bloody-handed solution, and it was somewhat of a solution, but I don't think it was a good one. No, not not at all. Um, I mean, it really comes down to justice versus vengeance. Uh, for the people who were within the circle, you know, they, they get to, uh, well, to yeah, enact he, this. He chose it, six bad people for starters. It, it doesn't, uh, no, I don't, I disagree. I think that there were probably good people on there who were willing to hear things out from a purely factual standpoint. But after that much, you know, maybe they start to it starts to wear down on them and they just blindly look away at certain mm. areas. In the beginning, maybe they were the right people. Salt high, never. Connor was never the right guy. Yeah. Too a- anybody who had personally felt some sort yes. of thing shouldn't, shouldn't be necessarily the, the one on there. Um, but I, I think the, the, the whole Tom Zarek thing He's got a good idea, which was, look, make me out to be the ugly guy here. I'll do this terrible thing. I'll get my hands dirty for you so that you can remain clean. And I can I can appreciate yeah. a, a, um, a decision like that. I still think it's wrong. Um, but unfortunately, when we live in a society where emotion is so tightly wrapped up in everything that we do, it's hard to be able to say, okay, I'm meeting out justice here and and remain cold and unemotional about it. Sure. Ro- uh, you know, uh, not Romulan, uh, Vulcan about it. It's just not, not a possibility. In the end, Rosalind grants a pardon. Yeah. Basically, pardon. to everyone. It's like, all okay, humanity. We're, we're all done here. What we all did was terrible. Um, we and, all have to find a way to move past it. Let's Let's move on. Which I think is is the right thing to do. Um, okay, yeah, I don't have the, any other comments. The episode ends on a, a just a great moment of silence between two men who are dealing with with each other as men. You know, Gaeta's there in the cafeteria. Tyrrell comes over, sits down at the table. Neither of them says a word. They just eat their food. I thought that was a, a great way to show the start of of the healing that needs to happen here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't understand why it takes so long for that to happen. I mean, once the the news gets out about Gaeta and what he actually did, they people should be lining up to say, "Hey, I'm so I don't know so that the sorry. news did get out. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's true. Maybe the circle is the only one that knows at this point. I wonder if they'll ever if they ever told who were the people within the circle. Yeah, or, or that the circle even existed. Yeah. Who knows? Gaeta knows. 
okay. Any other comments for you? No. All right. We're going to go to Brainy Smurf, who says, If Starbucks still exists in your narrative, then let's just pretend she gets spaced with Jammer at the super intense precap to this episode. She nonetheless continues to haunt this episode and this series as a super annoying ghost. There is a reoccurring visual motif for this episode of various characters alone in the airlock. We first see Jammer, dead man standing. We also begin Gaius's new chapter. It's weird. Love hurts, but hopefully he will continue to his sexual contests, <laughs> conquests on the base star as the odd man out. Are his eyes ever dry anymore? His scenes are bookended with a stare down with a bullet head. This B story is also the whole sci-fi element for this episode. The design of the base star interior is understated, but cool. Ron Moore reveals that the set for the interior was an unattainable expectation, so they just went with the, quote, baser look. Felix Gaeta. What a story. When is he going to put on his uniform again? Did he do a good thing? How could he get anyone to believe him? If only he knew earlier that the chief was on the secret death squad tribunal. He then gets scorned in the CIC by Saul as a toaster lover. Then the ghost of Starbuck proves herself to be more deplorable than ever as she eats lunch with Felix and then joins the death squad. <laughs> then we see poor Sam. He wants to stay married to a dead woman. He is in the airlock alone. Then we see the whole remaining tribunal death squad alone in the airlock. All of them. As dead inside as the space around them. And the old man's stare down at Zarek is awesome. Great ending with Chief and Felix. And great acting by those two dudes. Overall, an unpleasant episode. TV 6, Sci-Fi 6, Music 5. Hmm, not a fan for uh, Brainy. Listener M. Hey dudes, I don't have much time for a comment as I'm out of town this weekend. Hope you all had a great Independence Day and got to watch some cool explosions. I made it through the rest of the West Wing last week. My analysis of Season 7 can be summed up in one word. Meh. <laughs> Overall, my rating for the whole series would be 4. Wow. Mostly because of 6 and 7. However, I really enjoyed your podcast discussing this show. Rating 9. Nice. Any chance of bringing back the Principles of an American Life segment? There are many more principles to be discussed. Nullification is one topic that I would like to hear your opinions on. Okay. All right, we can do that. Squeeze that in somewhere. Collaborators. Gaius seems to be getting used to his stay with the Cylons. He should have no trouble adapting to this new situation. Television 6, Sci-Fi 7. Okay, Pete, your science fiction rating. Uh, I give this a 9. And uh, I know Brainy mentioned, look, we really it was just the Cylon ship that was the only real science fiction-y stuff, but I disagree. I, I think that... Uh, 
the aspect of um, spacing somebody is, you know, akin to throwing them overboard. Uh, definitely within the sci-fi realm. Um, I, I love the themes that are discussed here. They're very gritty. They're raw. They are uncomfortable. And they are set within the science fiction um, backdrop. And I think that they were done exceptionally well. Yeah, I gave it an eight. I, I agree with you. I, I actually think that it's very science fiction-y to use a fictional universe to examine traits like justice versus vengeance and things like that. So I think right. it I think it has a very strong science fiction spine behind it. Uh, for television, I'm going to give this a nine again because I enjoy it so much. You say that it's dark and disturbing. I... I think that that's okay to have dark and disturbing things sometimes. And they knocked it out of the park as far as I'm concerned. You know, for television, uh, I am going to give it a five. I just think it maybe and maybe it's it's my mood. Maybe I was not in the right place for this heavy and you just can't handle dark disturbing of an episode. You're so much of a happy person. (laughs) See kittens and butterflies and rainbows all over the place that's true i do I welcome do to the those. real world joey but uh i you know i i think they did a fantastic job at what they did i just didn't find it enjoyable to watch moving on to our next episode torn while the cylons face the threat of a virus left behind by the 13th colony battlestar galactica faces a different kind of viral infection discontent Ooh, that's a good summary hey thanks probably one of your better ones um, okay. So Gaia still has head six. Yeah, okay. She's still there so, with him. I, I realize you're probably not going to answer this, but I have to ask at this point. <laughs> okay. Are we ever going to get a straight answer as to what's going on with head six? I don't want to know what the answer is. Just tell me, are we going to get a straight answer? <sighs> a definitive, non-debatable answer. Um... That's tough for me to answer. Because you're so enjoying my no. torture. Okay. No, 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 no. Because, and I, even, I don't even want to say too much. I'll just say, yes, you will find out what, who, it, she, thing, entity, animal, Head six is. Okay. Okay. I I want to say more, but saying more would... No, that's fair. That's all, that's all sug- I wanted. To, I just wanted to know if I was in a could- lost season six situation. <laughs> 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 yep, we all go to a chapel and wait for our turn our to head be over. Our six to show up. Because <laughs> she tells Gaius here in this episode, I am what I always was, an angel of God sent here to help you. Yes. I I watched you um when uh, when that line was said, you're like, "Oh." <laughs> 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 so well, it got me thinking about the original Battlestar Galactica, which I can't say I remember super well. Like I can't recap any particular episode for you off the top of my head. But I do remember that there were these things in the old Battlestar Galactica. I want to say they were called the Angels, and they were a different race. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. I I don't remember at all. 
Okay. Like I I've I remember bits and pieces of stuff and I I just have no Some memory. some characters refer to them as beings of light. Some characters refer to them as angels. Huh, I, I vaguely remember that they existed and they were somehow helping humanity out. Interesting. And so when she I, said I she was an angel of God, I, that's why I was like, oh, I wonder if she's that thing from the other. Maybe they're making another tie yeah. into it. it. It's possible. I, I, I'm not trying to not say anything to you right now. I legitimately have no idea. Okay. So maybe. maybe. But we, we get an interesting revelation here is they, they ask Gaius, where's Earth? And he says, well, you know, why do you even care? Well, we've decided this is going to be our new home. That's where we want to go. Which begs the question, why do the Cylons need a new home? What happened to their current home? It's a good question. And why do they feel like they have to take the one the humans have? <laughs> or well, the one the humans want. Why can't they just pick some other random habitable star system and colonize there? It's an interesting it, question. It, it, it gives a different... You know, I, I've, been, I, I've said before that one of my theories is that the the Cylons are feel like they're agents of God testing humanity's worthiness. And this gives a different possible interpretation, which is there's something specific that humanity has that the Cylons want or need. And therefore, they're going to chase down humanity no matter where we go, no matter what we do. But they're not going to kill us because they need that one thing, whatever hmm. it is. Uh, one of the more interesting things that... I picked up on was Cylon psychology is based on projection. Yeah. That I found to be incredibly cool. And it kind of leads one to, I mean, it leads to all sorts of potential problems because if the Cylons see things the way they want to, <laughs> that doesn't actually necessarily give them a grounding in fact. Right. There's no reality behind their decisions. Which is wildly amazing because that's got to have some sort of impact upon their religious beliefs. Yeah, it was very interesting later in the episode when when Six is leading Gaius around uh -huh. and she's talking about how, oh, I, I, I choose to see all of this as one of God's greatest creations, a nice forest that we're walking through. And Gaius... I got the impression that Gaius started to see it, whether that was actually him seeing the same thing she was or him projecting his own perception. I don't know, but it raised some good questions. <laughs> him reacting to the forest around him all of a sudden. Well, I don't think he was seeing the forest, but I think he's starting to connect dots because of the conversation he has with Head Six at that time. Right. Which is her saying, doesn't this seem familiar at all to you, Gaius? You know, this is so incredibly yep. similar. And then he asked the... Am I the, a Cylon? The question. <laughs> Am I a Cylon? And, Brainy, I get the joke now. What's... what's uh, they use the term, we don't talk about the final five. And every week, Brainy sends in a list of questions. Joey's final five. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hmm. Got it. I caught that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's see here. Going back to the beginning, um, we have this training mission. 
uh, where, you know, it's human fighters against human fighters just trying to, you know, keep their skills honed. Using laser pointers. Yes. Um, <laughs> and Starbuck is back to her old self-destructive ways here. Again, I say she's worse. I think she's significantly um, worse. She is very callous, cavalier about the whole thing. Apollo says, you know what? You're done. You're grounded. I'm, I don't want you out there at all. If you want to go kill yourself... I'll open up an airlock for you. And that gets everybody's attention out there because she definitely put people's lives in danger by what she did um, and messed up one of the, 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 vipers. The, the vipers. I thought it was interesting, though, because until Apollo intervened, Hot Dog and Cat were kind of walking away with, wow, she landed that thing with no fuel. Like they were going into the standard mode of thinking, wow, Starbucks a hero, and... Apollo shut that down right away. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the first times we've ever seen Apollo make a good leadership decision. You know, it, I don't know that I sh- we should be that impressed. I mean, once she just gets herself up to the right speed, shouldn't she just be able to coast in? Well, but she, you, have to, you have to make adjustments. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily need to come from fuel. That could come from an airburst. It could. And the fact that it did apparently is impressive. I don't know. I uh, I don't know. I, I'm not as impressed with Starbuck, and I guess it's bleeding out into this whole scene. <laughs> um, so not only is Starbuck self-destructive, so is Colonel Ty. He's clearly yeah. the, crawled fact, back into the bottle that he came from. He they, they It becomes clear over the course of this episode, Colonel Ty and Kara have kind of become the same person at this point. Yeah, I made a note later uh, uh, in the episode. Ty and Starbuck agree with each other. That can't be good. <laughs> you never want to be agreeing with the two of those people. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's see here. Starbuck um, ignores Casey. So Casey and Casey's hot mom show up. And they're like, hey, we've tried to contact you. I don't know what's going on. And Starbuck's like... Look, lady, I'll be honest with you because you seem nice. I don't want anything to do with you. And picks up the kid, puts it back in her arms and says, see you later. Stop bothering me. Yeah, this is classic pre-suicidal behavior that we're seeing out of Kara. Um, it's unfortunate because there is a lifeline right there for her. Casey? Yes. Yeah. There's a way for her the to The problem connect. is that that lifeline is nothing but a reminder of just how bad Leoben screwed her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so we go to Gaeta and Rosalind and Adama talking about Gaius's work that he had been doing on Finding Earth. And he talks about, okay, we think that there might be some blinking pulsar um, that could be a marker to Earth. And, you know, kind of looks like a, you know, a lion's, lion's head, head nebula, nebula. With, with a blinking eye. And so they're like, okay, well, I guess we'll go and check this, this one uh, star system out and see if, if we can, you know, figure it out. Uh, then we have the Am I a Cylon quote uh, or question from Gaius which I find fascinating. What do you think? No. 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 Not a Cylon. No. Okay. Um, they don't talk about... Uh, whoops, sorry, I went too far. 
Sharon gets her new call sign. Yeah. Athena. Yep. Which now doesn't make sense yes. why they were calling yep. her Athena. Yep. The fact that the I should have edited out that better on the the emails in from the other guys because I totally knew what it was all about, but anyway. That's her new call here, sign. Here is something that caught my attention. I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but when they gave her the call sign Athena, the guy who, who mentioned it. Hot dog. Was it hot dog? Okay, yep. I couldn't remember who it was. Um, he says, often seen in the company of the goddess of victory. Uh-huh. You know who the goddess of victory was? I do not. Nike. I thought he was the uh, the goddess of... Uh... Yes, he was a goddess. <laughs> uh oh he was like uh like delivering messages nope that was mercury mercury i feel I, the trouble is i get the the romans and the greeks so yeah, what mixed was, up what was with mercury's name under the greeks actually um because i thought he was mercury because that's no. that's the no nike is the that's goddess why that, ftd used that insignia because it was the delivery guy right not the goddess not the god of victory he's the god of messages and delivering and that is why ftd uses it the, i feel like we are horribly butchering this and i'm sorry the brand to nike the shoe brand mm-hmm. selected the name nike because it's the greek goddess of victory okay um, Nike is not a character in this series. No. Okay. I was wondering if maybe the, no. they were trying to imply that later there was going to be a Nike. <laughs> okay. Yes. Sponsored in part by Nike. <laughs> the god of victory. Goddess. <laughs> uh, let's see here. The military crew is still fractured. Um, this is where... Um, the, they aren't agreeing with each other, you know, still a rift between things. Ty kind of shows up here at this point and just starts drinking with, yeah. with everyone. Um, Let's see here. Where are the final five? Who are the final five? And we Gaius don't talk is not about one of them. them. Gaius is not one of them, you're nope. saying? No. Nope. Um. Yeah, we don't ever talk about them. We don't have them around. I really want to know what's going on there. And we wouldn't recognize them if... No, she doesn't say that. I thought that's what... No. I thought she said that. He, she doesn't answer one way or the other. Okay. Uh, at any rate, it's just not discussed in, in Cylon society. It's not polite. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Oh, ooh, ooh. The really cool stuff. The hybrid. I think that this is awesome. Eh. You're you're not eh. interested at all about this. It wasn't any more interesting than the fact that the Cylon Raiders have a bio biological component to them. Yeah, I can I can understand that point. I, I thought it was interesting, but I didn't think it was that cool of of a thing. It was the it was the semi sentience okay. to the thing. It controls this massive ship. And it's just gibbering like <laughs> I like the idea that the Leoban, like maybe that's yeah. part of Leoban's madness is he's always listening to the hybrids, and that's what sent him a little bit off the cuckoo clock. <laughs> he's Leoban is a little unhinged, and it's because he thinks that the messages, the gibberish that these hybrids speak, are 
like legitimate, all of them are legitimate messages from God. Um, and I, I think that's really pretty cool. That way was a of, cool idea of being able to have the the center of this ship uh, be this this being that isn't fully, you know, one of the human human Cylon things. It's so integrated it could never leave that thing that it's in. It yeah. can only exist there. Okay, our first view of a Cylon bridge. Yeah. What did you think? It was cool. Okay. I liked how it was uniform. There wasn't a clear command station. I mean, there was like everybody kind of had the same workstation. It was kind of like, the, well, the, I would say the command thing is the thing in the middle. Right, but I'm then, saying everyone had an equal position at it. There was no head of the command station. There was no, I mean, the, all the interfaces were exactly the same. Everyone who's on the bridge, they all touched the, were the, they? the little platform thing, and it all seemed to have mostly the same effect. It all looked similar, yes. but we can't read Cylon, so it's tough to know. Maybe Boomer was actually the communications officer at the <laughs> helm there. I'm saying the, the visual appearance, that it's all the same, fits very much with what we've seen of Cylon society. I enjoyed very much the visual display of what this thing is. Light uh, emitting stations and somehow water is involved in this. We saw the very cool um, uh, plastic strings that were strung up all over the place. And they're sending water down those things as though that's the data that's coming down the line or something. And even when the hybrid is sending her messages, like within the whole mechanism that that thing is, it eventually leads out into this display, which we see visual, you know, what we would think as, you know, some sort of code thing coming along. It's just so seamlessly integrated. I, I love it. I, yeah, think I thought they did a good job. Really, really cool. Uh, let's see here. An infected Cylon base ship. So here's, here's the thing I didn't quite understand because I guess maybe, you know, reading as much science fiction as I have, the first thought that I had was maybe that pulsar is emitting some kind of information virus, which because Cylons are biological and computers, then made the crossover to a physical virus similar to the way avian flu crossed from birds into humanity. So almost as though, like, that's the, um, um, uh, what's that called, a subliminal message within the light, like blinking lights, is it's sending the Or just the, the radio message. waves that sure. it's emitting, that there was an informational virus in there, and because they're both computer and biological, that that somehow corrupted what their bodies were doing physically... And that started would ha- creating a poisonous toxin or something. That that would have to be like the coolest feat of engineering ever to manage <laughs> to get a star to transmit this thing uh, to well, to take out the. I Cylons. mean, my, so my question was: Is it that the star? Is it like until they showed us what really was going on? I was under the impression that oh, humanity found this star, 
the the 13th colony they found this pulsar and that was part of why they went that direction because that pulsar was one of the gates one of the one of the barriers protecting them from cylon kind is that they would have to go to this pulsar in order to find their way forward and that's one of the ways they protected themselves yeah yeah maybe but it, in, in it, all end, turned, it, it all turned out to not be that way but i'm saying I thought at the whole time, I'm like, wait, why are they willing to jump their base star into range of this pulsar? Haven't they considered that maybe it's an informational virus? The the information would could be given to them at any time, though. Light travels forever, so if they were to ever see that that pulsar, they would then get the the well, message. I, again, or the I was virus. thinking it was it was radio wave, and it could be weakened enough by the time it you know gets out to a certain range that they're not. It's not going to affect them. But the 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 whole thing, uh, the, the whole point of this line of reasoning was it seemed weird to me that they were willing to jump the base star into that system. The Raptor is FTL capable. Why not send the Raptor in from where you are right now? Don't get any closer. Um. The, uh, I don't know. I, I don't really, I wouldn't follow along that line of thinking just because the space isn't one dimensional. You know, there isn't one way to get to a place. You know, there could be, well, let's just go around it. Okay. Kind of a thing. So they can circumnavigate it okay. that way. Right. Um, but what ends up being even cooler is that. On this infected ship is this thing that, according to Gaius, is human-made. Yeah. And as but he ancient. sees, all of the Cylons there are slowly, painfully dying of something. Don't know what it is, but it's affecting them physiologically, and they're all dying. Except for the one that he chokes to death. Well, she was dying, not dead. <laughs> well, if someone's dying and they're making you uncomfortable and you decide to choke them out to make them die faster, I still think that's murder. I, I don't know. <laughs> assisted suicide. Okay. When I see you choking in the next uh, restaurant buffet, I'll just say, you know what? I'm just helping to ease him along the path. Fair enough. He was dying anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> if that's what you think will take to get rid of me. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, well, now this is uh, can be in uh, uh, put in as evidence that uh, I didn't actually kill you. you I, I hereby absolve so. Pete of any guilt in my death. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Cylons are fracturing. Everything is difficult. Um, they end up jumping away. They force the hybrid to do this. The hybrid does something weird. They're like, wow, that that's odd. She disagrees with us. And Xenalon says, you know what? She doesn't get a vote. Jump. Let's override her. Yeah. And and so she uh, she does, um, which is interesting in, in my book because I think that that's – if they espouse, you know, this, the, the choice. Well, yeah, the they're, they're clearly enslaving a member of their own race. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see here. Uh, Ty and 
Starbuck agree with each other. Hybrids are unique. Uh, jump. Gaius investigates. Where are my notes going Admiral here? Adama comes down and tells oh. Kara and Ty to pull their heads out of their rear ends. Yes. Tells th- Kara, you used to be like a daughter to me. No more. Yeah. He comes down and fixes the problem. <laughs> um, and then some. And, I mean, she leaves. I mean, she's... I, I don't... I, I think that that maybe was the thing to kick her yeah. into gear. And he goes to, to Ty and says, look, last thing I need here is a one-eyed drunk. Get yourself cleaned up. Get it figured out. Be the man I, I've known for the past 30 years. And Ty's response is, that, that man doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Ah. And then he goes off to drink himself to death, apparently. Yes. Uh, Got to be so painful for... Yeah. um. William Adama here to have his friend of 30 years. It would be like me or you in that position and saying, Hey, you know what? Uh, yeah, I'm done. I'm just going to self-destruct. <laughs> this <completely."> podcast is <laughs> over. <laughs> you know, the, Ty had an interesting line. We jumped over it cause I didn't see it at the right point, but Ty had an interesting line that he delivers here. Where he says, in my opinion, trust is an overrated commodity. Yeah, I can't buy anything that Ty says at this point. Well, I don't, I don't. I'm not saying I buy it. I'm saying it was interesting to me because, as until I became a, a dad, and until my kids became old enough to start making their own decisions, uh-huh. I never really appreciated trust. Uh, I used to have a, a conversation with somebody over and over again. We'd have this conversation on whether it's better to be trusted or better to be loved. What? Really? I, I would think fear, you know, is it better to be feared or is it better to be like trusted or, or loved? I would think trust and love are like in the same category. Well, that, and that was one of the, one of the points that we would talk over all the time because I, you know, I would talk about how I can love someone, but that doesn't mean I trust them. Just because I, I love my kid doesn't mean I'm going to give him the car keys, a six pack of beer and put him out on the highway at 11 years old and say, hey, go have a good time, buddy. I could turn out fine. <laughs> uh, and what it really I so I used to I used to argue, you know, Okay, if you have to choose between being trusted or being loved, I'd much rather be loved. And it wasn't until I, now that I have kids of my own and they're old enough to make decisions where I have to decide whether or not I can trust them, that I finally started to come around and see this other guy's point of view where I will always love my kids no matter what, Mm -hmm. but I don't always necessarily trust them. And in that regard, the trust is the more important attribute between me and them for me the trust is more important for the kid being loved is probably more important but now for me as an adult the ability to trust my child is the more concerning factor Mm -hmm. yeah i I would agree with that and I, i would think that you know the extension is you know you may be loved by somebody but you may not be trusted well if you're trusted by somebody there's a a probably really good chance that they also would therefore love you as yeah, well. That's a good point. Um, but uh, yeah, good, uh, good points about your kids there. So yeah, thanks for bringing that in. Um, all right. Starbuck cuts her hair. Dumb. 
her her combat knife is so dull. Yeah, what I thought is the a knife same that's thing. That dull? <laughs> of course, it's all plastic hair, or probably horse hair. Uh, anyway, I mean, it was a terrible uh, job of, of <laughs> weave that they put on her. Um, okay, so they jump and they find the nebula. And I think it's cool. Hey, yeah, we found this this really interesting thing. But I just have to roll my eyes at this because... What if they had jumped on the other side of the nebula? Yeah, or a little bit differently positioned in space. Yeah, it doesn't look like a lion's head. You know, the the constellations that we see up in the night sky make sense to us from our perspective here on Earth. They do not make sense to us if we are, you know, uh, over in some other uh, galaxy looking at the same set of stars. Can I, can I put on the apologist's belt here Sure, for a moment? The base star, the Cylon base star, was right there in the same sector of space. Yeah. So maybe all faster-than-light calculations will always land you at a certain attitude in relationship to whatever the thing is that you're navigating towards. And so the mm. previous ships and the Cylon ships and now the Galactica ships all saw it as a lion's head because they all came into that same point. I got the answer here. We have to remember, these are all based off of Gaius Baltar's calculations. Okay, yeah, there you go. Gaius jumped with the Cylons. We followed Gaius's notes and therefore went to the same location. Anyway, that's all cool. I'm fine with that part of it, but just the fact that, oh, hey, this conveniently looks like the lion's head um, is a little fishy for me. Okay. But they found a marker, and that's really cool from the Scrolls of Pythia. Sounds like they're on the right track. Yeah. Uh, comments for, yep. for you? Any Anything else Nothing that you want to mention? Me. Okay. Uh, we'll finish up listener M, who says, Torn, things are getting back to normal in the fleet now that Adama is back in charge. Ty can drink again. TV7, Sci-Fi7, have a great week all. Um, thanks, uh, Mark, uh, for your email. Really appreciate that. Um, all right. So let's finish up with Brainy Smurf, who's got a really long comment <laughs> about this episode. The podcast commentary is a special treat this episode as Ron Moore records from his alma mater of Cornell University with a history and theory of commercial narrative and film class it's so amazing to hear ron moore rant with some very bright college kids how awesomely contrary to the haughty aspirations cast at academics by a previous showrunner of a previous show which shan't be named suck it jms (laughs) and we have the best episode opening ever six on the beach (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like it should be the name of a delicious cocktail beverage. <laughs> Bear's piano sonata for this episode is beautiful. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, Moore reveals that he originally paired the scenes with Beethoven pieces until Bear's music was inserted. Great music here. It's sad and surreal, just like Gaius's current situation. Moore also reveals in the podcast where the octagonal paper came from. So, it's nice to know that there's an yeah. answer to that. AC's, we're not, not going to find out what it is? Oh, well, he doesn't mention it oh. in this. <laughs> okay. 
A.C. Saunders is a great writer, and I love how she handles this episode. Notice Xenalon and Six wearing white and black, respectively. Yep, I did notice that. Saul chugging whiskey reminds me of a pulsar. And don't mind the naked base star face hole. It nicely sets the advent of Handhole's new handle, Athena. Saul and the ghost of Starbuck are starting to bond. And goodbye, Fat Lee. We won't miss you. <laughs> also, the ancient scrolls were written in a made-up language by the visual art and props dudes. Cylon projecting and how it connects to Gaius is one of my favorite elements to this narrative. It was originally concocted as a way to cut the budget for designing Baystar sets. Moore and the students also expound the Cylon religious philosophy of that mysterious young culture. Some great comparisons are made to the replicants, as portrayed by Philip K. Dick, as well as Rutger Hauer. <laughs> the waterboarding control panel for the base star is cool. A tangible data stream highlights the Cylon yearning to reach out as it harnesses their need to be communicating. I also love the freaky hybrids. Inspired by a throwaway drawing by Richard uh, Hudolin. Moore was like, what's that? Hudolin was like, I have no idea. Moore was like, well, let's use it anyway. I love the gibberish. I love the accentuation of the Cylon sense of communication. Now on a metaphysical, possibly spiritual level. The poetry... And the passion is sweet. I sure hope we see more of those weirdos later. And then Gaius to the rescue. Really? Eddie almost, almost, uh, also very much relished the chance to kick butt in the confrontation scene with Saul and Starbuck, the stupid ghost. However, the most important thing to remember about this episode, as aptly pointed out by Pete last week, is that... Casey's mom has got it going on. I feel like that's a song yep. I don't know the tune to. Stacy's mom. Stacy's mom? Yeah. I have no idea what that song is, and I'm sorry that I murdered the tune, but I tried to sing it. Um, but I really appreciate the fact that Brainy is hating Starbuck as much as I am. <laughs> You're just glad someone is. Yeah. Um, okay, Sci-Fi 8, TV 7, Music 10, Casey's Mom 11. <laughs> uh, can we still call it Joey's Final Five? <laughs> you knew I was going to catch on to that, huh? <laughs> who are the Final Five? Uh, sorry, number one, who are the Final Five? Have we even met them yet? Yeah, I think we've probably met them yet, and I think they're probably in the fleet do you think we've met them all? Or do you think there might be some that may be oh, characters there, we've seen there, before? There may be characters that they haven't introduced yet. Okay. There may be people out there that we're going to see in seasons four and five that were like, oh, that turned out to be a Cylon. <laughs> but uh, I think that probably some of our core characters somewhere, there are, we haven't seen uh, D in a couple episodes. Oh, you're you're back to D being a Cylon now. <laughs> oh, I was on D as a Cylon. I, I left Billy for D. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> as, as Cylon theory-wise. Um, yeah, I'm still thinking D is a Cylon. D is a Cylon. Anybody else? Any other guesses? Man, it's tough. It's, it, I personally don't think that you can possibly know who may or Hilo. may not be. We can tell. We know it's not Hilo. Okay. Okay. Process right? of elimination. Yeah. Uh, well, and just the fact that they're so excited that there's a human Cylon hybrid. I mean, clearly that is something special. Um, or maybe they just don't know that he is one of the final five, and yeah, they're I'm, like, "Oh crap! We've been worrying about this kid for no reason." <laughs> <laughs> I think they know who the final five are. Uh, so I'm going to say D, not Roslyn, not Zarek, not Tyrrell, not Ty, not Starbuck, not Adama. Gata? Yeah, Gata. Gata, okay. Let's make Gata a Cylon. <laughs> <laughs> and how's that at power? <laughs> Anders? Uh, no, I don't think Anders. Uh, Apollo? No. Um, not cat. Not hot dog. Who's Tyrrell's wife? Ellen. No, she's dead. Oh, Tyrrell. Tyrrell's I, I, I wife. I was thinking Ty. Sorry, Callie. <laughs> Callie. Yes. Yeah, I actually I was thinking about her right after I said D. I was thinking, I wonder if Callie is. <laughs> but if so, they would have been really protective of her baby too, and they weren't. So, I don't think so. I won't make you continue to guess. All right. Because I can't remember any more character <laughs> names. <laughs> Number two. Order these peeps from most treasonous <laughs> to the most sympathetic victim. Okay. Jammer, Zarek, Saul, Felix, not Billy, and Starbuck the unfriendly ghost. <laughs> I'm not sure who not Billy is. I'm guessing he meant the Cylon. Billy the Cylon. I don't know. I I don't know. Uh, give me the names again. Jammer, Zarek, Saul, Felix, not Billy, and Starbuck the Unfriendly Ghost. Jammer, Zarek, Saul, Felix, not Billy, and Starbuck? Six of them. Should have six there. Okay. And uh, most treasonous first? Most treasonous to most uh, sympathetic. Okay. Um, I'm going to say... So essentially worst to... Yeah. I'm going to say Jammer, most treasonous of all of them. Wow. Really? Okay. Then I'm going to say Zarek, number two. And I'm going to say Saul, number three. Wow. Okay. Starbuck, number four. Not Billy, number five, and Felix, number six. All right. Okay. Number three. Is Felix culpable, and does he feel guilty? Yes and no. No and yes in that order. Okay. I would agree with that. I don't think he, he's done everything that he yeah. could. Uh, let's see here. Number four. If only what happened on New Caprica would just stay on New Caprica. <laughs> Clearly, something. Hmm, 
<laughs> I am not going to read this question. You're editing the question live. Yeah. Screw it. We'll do it live. <laughs> uh, Brandy, I'm sorry, but I think that this question suggests some things that we don't know yet. So, And he uh, knows I'll put the pieces together. Apologies. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think you're going to put anything together here, okay. but it's going to cause you to put together something Later. down the line. Okay. Number five. Has Head Six ever lied to Gaius yet? Do you think she's really a, quote, angel of God sent to protect him just as she has always been? Close quote. I don't think she has overtly lied to him yet. I think in some instances, uh, the best example that I can think of is in Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series, The Eyes Sedai. Uh-huh. Where sometimes they will leave clues. They'll, they'll and tell then, the truth, but suggest something yes, different. Yes. Yeah, I think she's done that probably a few times. Okay. Uh, I don't think she's outright lied to him yet, though. Uh, I have no idea if she's an angel. I just seriously done, done with that guessing game. Can't even guess nope. anymore. <laughs> nope. I lose. Declare myself the loser hereby of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Later, dudes. Ambassador Brainy Smurf. P.S. Enjoy the Smurfette pics on her way to a concert. She likes glitter. What are you going to do? <laughs> oh, <right> on. <laughs> uh, yeah, you weren't kidding. She certainly does enjoy glitter. <laughs> and I... I You'll have to explain why there is just the, you know, the the two blotches of glitter on her thighs. Like, I don't know. Well, maybe it would make sense if we knew what band she was going to. Maybe, you know, that's part of the band or something. But, uh, yeah, great picks. Um, And uh, we potentially can use them as Facebook Find It The Week Awards. I'm not sure um, (laughs) how. I still feel a little bit weird about doing that. Uh, great emails. Thanks very much uh, to, uh, to everybody who sent them in. Joey, science fiction writing. You know, I had initially put a seven down, but as we talked about it, I had to adjust that because I wasn't giving the Cylon base star experience enough credit, I don't think. So I, I've come up to an eight. Oh, I'm going to join you. I, I had to also put a seven. Uh, but I think you're right. And I talked myself into how um, I reminded myself of how amazing I think the hybrid is uh, that I think deserves an eight. Uh, for television, uh, again, I gave this a seven, but I think I'm going to go. I'm thinking I'm going to adjust upwards again because I'd forgotten how powerful the music was. Brainy is, is right to point that out here. This has been. For me, this episode was my favorite musical experience so far in the mm. series. Yeah, I agreed. Uh, the music is pretty fantastic in this. There's nothing that ever detracts away from it, but it's it hasn't ever really seemed to get in the way. It's only ever assisted, and it continues to do that in this episode. I'm not going to bump it anymore. I'm just going to give it a 7. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5 
Or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening.